chapter twenty three of blackthorn farm by arthur applin this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty three success cranmer pool the most desolate spot on dartmoor here rise seven rivers born in the quaking morass itself the result of the drainage of the giant tors which shut it in on every hand a lonely spot encircled by the everlasting hills without a road or cart track inaccessible isolated in summer visited by tourists who boast of having made the pilgrimage on the hardy little moorland ponies in winter as solitary and forsaken as the great sahara itself half a mile from the pool is a low grassy plateau from which the hills slope upwards and halfway up is the remains of a ruined house the walls of which are only a few feet high and are level with the ground in many places a strange place for a house until one notices the hummocks and depressions in the rock-strewn heather and then one realizes that once in far-off times there was a primitive tin mine the silence is intense the hillside save for the heather bare and lifeless suddenly a clump of heather stirs and a man's head appears thrust out of the hillside itself followed by his body as it emerges from a hole hidden by the heather he raises a pair of zeiss glasses and carefully sweeps the country first the foothills then the more distant tors then having satisfied himself that he is the sole human being on that wild moorland he throws himself into the heather and fills and lights a pipe rupert's waiting-place had been well chosen for any one but a born moorman it would have been impossible dressed in a smart blue suit his hair of decent length and a decent moustache it would have been difficult to recognize in him convict three eighty one he lay on his back and nervously blew smoke rings into the blue vault above him presently he ceased smoking and sat up a faint humming greeted his ears he rose to his feet and faced the north his glasses swept round the skyline east and west then he took them down and gazed slowly round the visible horizon nothing in sight and yet the hum increased now it stopped suddenly he looked up and there right above him was a monoplane far up in the blue heavens circling round and descending in great spiral swoops till he could see the figure of the pilot with a strangled cry of joy he ran down the steep hillside to the grassy plain and presently the monoplane swooped down and bounded along the rough turf rupert raced after it and as gradually almost imperceptibly it slackened speed he seized hold of it and used his weight to help bring it to a standstill crichton eventually jumping from his seat and doing the same then jim took off his safety helmet and the two men faced one another rupert held out his hand he tried to speak but he could not trust himself jim crichton understood he too had a queer sensation of choking in his throat he turned away and commenced to examine the machine to see that it had not been damaged in alighting to give rupert a chance of recovering himself the latter was trembling from head to foot 
he had been brave enough when he had been hunted by armed men through the fog and his nerve had not deserted him when he came out from his place of concealment at postbridge hall and begged to be given a chance to fight for his life and all the time he had been hidden in the semi-darkness of the cellar adjoining jim crichton's workroom at the hall he had felt confident that he would eventually obtain his freedom but now that the hour had come now that he stood on the vast moorland beneath the glorious blue sky no longer wearing the badge of shame to all intents and purposes free his nerve failed him and his courage suddenly oozed through his feet he started at every sound the call of a curlew a distant sheep bell the rattle of a stone beneath his boot jim unstrapped a parcel from the front seat of the monoplane and threw it on the turf now then dale you've got to be quick he said brusquely as if giving orders to one of his own men undo that suitcase you'll find a uniform take off the suit you're wearing and get into it you mustn't waste a moment i may have been seen descending but i don't think it's likely from the height i was up again rupert tried to speak but the words rattled incoherently in his throat he commenced to change his clothes in a way that would have won the approval of a quick-change musical artist when he had finished he packed up the blue suit of clothes and jim strapped the case on to the monoplane again then he looked at rupert critically yes you'll do you had better brush your mustache up a bit so he gave a little laugh gad you would make a very good soldier let's see you salute rupert cast an anxious eye round the horizon you said there wasn't a moment to lose someone may have seen you descend this means life or death to me and for you the risk jim stepped forward and laid his hand on rupert's shoulder come pull yourself together man you'll want all your courage in an hour's time when we land at plymouth you haven't forgotten what i told you i started from nether avon with my soldier servant jackson dropped him at chard and he went on by rail to exeter where i picked him up again you're jackson yes i remember all that rupert replied hastily now when we arrive at plymouth be careful not to speak a word yes or no will be quite enough go straight to the duke of cornwall hotel and refuse all invitations to the canteen or mess you know what to do at the hotel now try that salute again the first was rotten it's more important than you think we mustn't take the slightest risk of failure now eventually crichton was satisfied they had some little difficulty in starting the engine altogether scarcely half an hour passed since the monoplane alighted before it was once more in the air making great spirals as it climbed steeply into the clouds rupert scanned the moorlands surrounding the pool with his glasses to his relief no human being was in sight they had not been observed jim contrived to keep cranmere pool as the centre and avoided even sighting okahampton camp nor was princeton visible till they sailed swiftly over it a mere speck thousands of feet below it seemed only a few moments before the gleam of water and a pall of smoke showed rupert that plymouth was just ahead the monoplane began to descend in great spirals till woods and houses were clearly visible jim did not approach the town but circled round a large down now crowds of people could be seen running towards an open green space with a great white cross on it directly below them rupert noticed that many were soldiers more soldiers poured out of the line of huts to the south the engine stopped now the cross was right ahead and the ground appeared to rupert to be rushing towards them he clutched the supports on each side and realized they were falling at a frightful rate 
suddenly the engines started again but only for a moment before he knew how it happened the monoplane was rushing along the ground with great leaps till it stopped just below the canvas cross in a moment a cordon of soldiers formed round the monoplane jim jumped from his seat and was shaking hands with a group of eager officers rupert also climbed down and was instantly surrounded by soldiers who plied him with questions before he could reply jim pushed through them now jackson don't stand gossiping there take my suitcase down to the duke of cornwall at once ask for the rooms i've engaged i shall want a bath and change immediately yes sir and rupert gave his best military salute here take that safety helmet off and put on your cap jim commanded or you'll be mobbed outside now men don't interfere with him he will be back in an hour just help to wheel the plane opposite the polo pavilion rupert bag in hand hurried to the gate glad to escape further questions from his supposed comrades at the gate he met a cavalcade and had to stand aside to let it pass just as he was hurrying down the road again he heard a horse behind him and a voice hailed him hi you there why don't you salute the general eh here sergeant take this man's name and regiment and the young officer turned his horse and galloped after the general again rupert found himself confronted by a short stout red-faced man in a red tunic with three gold stripes on his arm name and regiment he snapped rupert saw the necessity for a prompt answer at once and replied private jackson royal flying corps what's your number number repeated rupert in surprise come on now don't you let me have none of your nonsense out with it rupert went hot and cold all over his number so he was discovered after all he gave it in a low voice number three eighty one i'll go quietly with you but i should like to see lieutenant crichton first i ain't going to put you in the guard-room the sergeant guffawed not unless you gives me any more of your bloomin cheek but you're for the orderly room tomorrow morning nine forty-five sharp for not saluting a general officer commanding the western district and don't you forget it or you'll find yourself in clink now fly off and don't give us so much of your flying corps manners rupert reached the duke of cornwall safely without further adventure but on his way there when he found himself in the busy streets a sudden panic seized him he felt his body alternately grow hot and cold he was overcome by an overwhelming desire to run to run away from the people who thronged the pavements to fight a passage through the traffic and escape somewhere anywhere where he could hide himself and be alone alone in the darkness again ever since his escape from prison he had lived the life of an underground animal always in the darkness and at night when he had dared sometimes steal a breath of fresh air the darkness still surrounded him and the silence and the mystery of the night for the best part of a year he had been shut off from human intercourse and converse with his fellow-men now he suddenly found himself rubbing shoulders with them he was jostled to and fro laughter echoed in his ears the noise of the traffic threatened to deafen him he had to keep a tight grip on himself or he knew he would have bolted like a thief then gradually as his self-confidence returned and he found he was not molested fear left him and was replaced by a tremendous excitement he began to feel like a child who has run away from home or a schoolboy who has escaped the vigilance of his masters the noise of the streets began to have a meaning for him color and movement the motors and tramcars and the splendid shops and overhead the great blue sky he was free really a free man again at liberty 
he mouthed the word lovingly and he stood still on the pavement and gaped at the men and women who passed to and fro how easily they took their liberty how unconscious they seemed of it they had never known what it was to be imprisoned they had never known what it was to live behind walls to be shut up in a narrow cell in the everlasting twilight without even a window through which one might gaze and be reminded that god's in his heaven and all's well with the world again he laughed at that moment a policeman passed him and turning his head looked at him rupert was standing just outside a shop hardly knowing what he was doing he bolted into it the next moment he cursed himself for a fool and a coward a huge glass mirror showed him his reflection he stared at it fascinated he looked no more like a convict than he looked like the old rupert dale he had once known an assistant's voice behind the counter asking him what he wanted brought him back to the needs of the moment by good fortune the shop was a tobacconist's and rupert knew he did want something very badly a smoke he bought a fourpenny cigar and the chink of money gave him another strange thrill he spent an unconscionable time in lighting it but when he ventured into the street again he found to his relief the policeman had gone and so eventually he reached the hotel safely and sat down at the open window of the private sitting-room reserved for lieutenant james crichton and there an hour or two later jim found him the two men shook hands silently it was difficult to find words they had both gone through big ordeals they had both been fighting against pretty stiff odds victory seemed assured but they were not out of danger yet jim had a hot bath and changed then he told rupert to do the same you will have to get into mufti he explained to him i've had a kit bag sent here and it contains everything you'll want for your journey you remember all i told you well i've had to change our plans slightly you sail tonight on a small boat about a thousand tons that's going east i've booked you as a coffee planter thanks to working in the fields at princeton you've got a good tan on your face your name is john cotton which fits in with the initials on my bag i thought it out while i was filling my backy pouch he laughed for heaven's sakes remember john cotton you'll find a book amongst your kit dealing with coffee planting you'd better study it in case you're tackled on the subject the captain of the ship's a pal of mine he's got a box for the theatre to-night and is bringing a friend we're going to join him there and after the show in the middle of supper we're all to walk down to the barbican steps where the captain's dinghy will be waiting captain sparks is a decent chap and a sportsman he knows you're under a cloud that's all he knows i would have told him the truth but i couldn't for his sake for if he knew and anything went wrong he would get into no end of a mess he won't question you and once you're outside plymouth sound you'll know you're safe rupert nodded his head he could not thank crichton mere words would not convey what he felt perhaps jim knew what was passing in his mind for he laid his hand on his shoulder for a moment giving it a friendly grip that's all right he said steadily now from this moment i want you to blot out the past you told your sister you were innocent i didn't believe it at first i believe it now rupert raised his head and looked straight into jim's face thank god for that forget everything jim continued only remember john cotton the coffee planter en route for singapore he took out a notebook from his pocket and handed rupert a wad of notes there's a hundred pounds there half in english half in dollar notes 
when the radium mine booms you'll have more money than you know what to do with now then just before you close the door on the past and lock it is there anything i can do for you in england rupert walked round to the window and gazed out down below the bustle and business of life the buying and selling the loving and hating of the streets beyond the shimmer of the blue sea which for him meant safety and above the dome of the blue sky which for him meant liberty he wondered when he would grow accustomed to it you will take care of marjorie whatever happens whether you marry her or not don't let despard get hold of her you need have no fear on that score old man there was a short silence rupert was still standing with his back to jim staring out of the window there's a letter i'd like to write to someone someone very dear to me i don't know where she is now but i dare say you could find her perhaps you can guess you mean miss strode rupert nodded he gave jim her address and the name of the theatre where she had last played i want her to know that i'm well and safe and happy don't forget to emphasize the fact that i'm happy because perhaps it would be safer not to write if you would see her and give her the message instead i'll see her and give her your message you mustn't write again there was a short silence rupert took out the bundle of notes jim had given him and fingered them thoughtfully i shan't want all this money ruby may be out of an engagement i wish you would find a way of sending her half the amount you've given me you stick to them i'll see that she wants for nothing that is the first thing i'll do when i get back i daren't tell her even that you've escaped out of england though of course she'll guess but i'll give her your message is that all i think that's all rupert replied he found it very difficult to keep his voice under control tell her tell her i love her and am grateful always grateful jem started he made a movement towards rupert his lips framing a question he checked it and turning away rang the bell and now for dinner and then the theatre you had better go into the other room cotton while i give my orders to the waiter in case he saw you coming in with my bag he might wonder what sort of game i was playing with my servant rupert nodded and crossed the room i see you've got your name all right jim smiled as soon as dinner was ordered the two men strolled down to the lounge and then rupert remembered to tell jim the incident of the general he had forgotten to salute and the scene he had had with the sergeant crichton laughed by jove you might have got poor jackson into a nice mess but as you were carrying my bag and men are not supposed to salute when they're carrying things i'll make it all right for you at eight o'clock they made their way to the theatre and found captain sparks and his friend already occupying one of the boxes four hours later they were walking beneath the starlit sky towards the barbican the captain was in a rare good humour with himself they found the dinghy waiting for them at the appointed place sparks and his passenger tumbled in unquestioned the final farewells were shouted the oars struck the water the little boat pulled out and was soon lost to view 
jim crichton gave a slight sigh of relief and turning on his heel walked back to the hotel at the bureau he asked for a telegraph form and writing out a message handed it to the porter with instructions that it should be sent off the first thing in the morning it contained three words flight quite successful and was addressed to marjorie dale blackthorn farm post bridge jim turned in at once for the first time he realized that he was thoroughly exhausted but sleep did not come a dreadful fear seized him lest he had written his message a little previously captain sparks boat was not due to sail until daybreak rupert would not be really safe until she was out of the channel long before sunrise jim crichton was standing at his bedroom window gazing with anxious eyes over plymouth sound a black speck on the blue horizon a thin line of slowly drifting smoke his glasses told him that the boat had sailed and that rupert dale was safe End of chapter twenty three